Well, hey there. Welcome to Discover Your Sensational Path podcast. I'm Erin Gurich. I'm an occupational therapist, owner of Sensational Path, and creator of the Sensational Path Mobile Sensory Clinic. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast, a podcast for parents, teachers, and occupational therapists to learn and connect around topics of sensory integration, sensory regulation, sensory spaces, and the ins and outs of running a clinic on big wheels. Welcome back to another episode of Discover Your Sensational Path podcast. All of you moms need to listen up because I have Liz Crowley with me, who is the little sleep coach, and she is going to answer all of your questions. This is such a broad topic, sleep. We're going to do a session today. And if we need to come back and do more sessions to dive a little bit deeper into sleep, then we will do that. But I'm so happy to have Liz on to share with us her knowledge about how we can help our kids sleep, because we all know that that helps us to deal with our everyday life, right? So Liz, tell us a little bit about yourself and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, I started my business back when I became a first time mom. And I know there is the cliche about you'll sleep when baby sleeps, but I quickly realized is baby doesn't sleep a whole lot during the night and I needed to figure it out. So this is where I started up my company, Little Sleep Coach, and I help families with young children from zero to six years of age get on a schedule and a routine. One of the things that's probably a little bit different about my company is that I offer parents a couple of options to suit their parenting style. Parenting isn't one size fits all. You really have to work with parents and understand family dynamics to really figure out their style and and how you want to work with them. You know, I said that in a message that I sent you, like when my kids were little one week, I was like, okay, we're going to cry it out. And then the next week I was like, I'm going to wake up and soothe you. And we're going to sleep together. And it was like every week it was something different because I was like, this isn't working and I don't know what to do. (laughs) And all these different coaches and specialists are telling different things. And so it's really hard as a parent to know what's right. And so I like that you, you, you use your, your technique or your coaching is suitable to what the parent needs. It's very parent driven and parent focused. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think, um, I think one of the things we really do, there's a lot of myths out there. One of the things I think we make mistakes on as parents and as also as sleep consultants out there is we think that we can fit every child into a certain box. And that's just not possible. When we look at sleep, even for um, any child, you know, let's say the range is 12 to 14 hours is a range we give parents that their child should be falling in and around. Well, if a parent goes and takes a schedule that's designed for 12 hours and their child needs 14 hours, the parent doesn't know where they're going wrong in that. And that's why I say like generic does not work in these situations. You can have two kids the exact same age and their sleep needs are very different. So it's really important that we understand that each child is an individual, just like adults. Like I don't sleep as much as you or you don't sleep, you know, we don't sleep the same. Um, And we have to really appreciate and honor the needs of our kids as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have, I have two kids and they both sleep completely different. One, when he was little, I was like, okay, time for bed. And he went to bed and that was no problem. And the, the younger one is like, Oh, can I have some water? And all of those 
you know, um, curtain calls. Yeah. Those distractions to get away from sleeping. But Uh, the one thing, you know, when we talk about babies, when they're really young, they tend to fall asleep anywhere. And we really get comfortable in that situation that they'll just sleep anywhere. Unfortunately, by about, I shouldn't say unfortunately, as a progression, about three or four months of age, they actually develop, start developing adult sleep cycles. So their ability to just drop and fall asleep starts to, to get lost around that age, we'll say. They just start to develop out of it. And you'll notice that they, they need a lot more help and a lot more assistance getting there if they're not in a routine or a structured environment. So just like when you go to sleep, you like to have a dark room. You like to have, you know, um, some people like it quiet. I actually recommend some white noise. It blocks out the dogs barking, your neighbor's dog barking, the the big truck flying up the street, whatever things are going on in your neighborhood. Um, And I think that's really important. And we can do that for every age group. The reason I introduce it for newborns is you can start to get them used to this environmental cue and start getting them, easing them into that environmental cue. So when you do start to do naps, when they're a little bit older, they realize, oh, I'm going into my my dark room. The white noise is playing, it's cool. They actually say that for adults, the ideal sleep temperature is about 17 to 18 degrees in the room. Um, Then for about babies, you want it to be about 20, 21. So it's actually on the cooler side. Mm -hmm. And we tend to leave it a little bit too warm and, and a little bit too hot and uncomfortable. So it's a good thing to remember a little bit cooler in the room and you can always kind of dress them up or dress them down, whichever is happening. Um, and those are some of the, the things that I like to really help with new parents on. So where does swaddling fit into that? Does that kind of keep them at that cool temperature or like, what are your thoughts on swaddling? Swaddling is fantastic for the newborn stage, like right up until about three or four months. Um, but you have to transition out of a swaddle when once they start to show signs of rolling. And that's really important because they need to have their hands free to be able to push themselves off the mattress. Mm-hmm. But swaddling um, really calms the, it calms them. It offers um, soothing. It kind of re- resembles what it felt like in the womb. It's a real comfort for them. So it can really help in the newborn stage. Like all of a sudden they they, you know, come into the world and it's, you know, everything's loose, their hands are flailing, they're trying to learn their motion of their hands. And that's not something you want when you want them to go to sleep, because mm-hmm. once they start to get the hands going, they can start to like touch their face and, and rub their face during active sleep, they tend to wake themselves up. So definitely swaddle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I know it's not easy with every baby. Um, it's some babies do need a little bit more work to get used to it. And for Darkness, I recommend two products, two blackout products. And I know that might seem extreme, but you, I'm talking like no light whatsoever coming into the room. And it's the light that triggers the baby to wake up. So if the light hits their eyes, it actually signals to the brain that it's time to wake up. So if we can make the room as dark as possible, like cave dark, it can be a real assistance to baby sleep. Mm-hmm. I just moved into a new house and we have... Um like an ensuite. And in the ensuite, there's those glass um, tiles, like it's like a window. And so there's no blackout on that. And I don't, I don't know if it affects my sleep or not, but like, it's definitely letting light in, but that's my room, not my kid's room. (laughs) 
since I started I think, listening to you, I'm like, hmm, I should black that out. <laughs> you'll find out definitely in the summer when the sun starts to rise. If, if it hits in there, you'll you'll um, you'll know if it affects you or not. What we tend to see is when, and this is where you'll get common complaints. My baby only sleeps for one sleep cycle, and a sleep cycle can be like 30 to 40, maybe 60 minutes. And that's where if they're coming out of that lighter sleep cycle and you have something like a dog barking or a little bit of light getting into the room, that's when they pop out of their sleep and they don't transition back into the next sleep cycle where you get a longer sleep. I hear that a lot. Like I work more with older kids and the parents say, oh, he falls asleep really well, but then he wakes up and can't, can't get back to sleep. Is that because of the environment, do you think? That can be one of the things for sure. Mm -hmm. Another thing is actually how they got to sleep. And I do find what a lot of babies, they can be sometimes assisted to sleep. And then when they come out of that light light sleep, they're kind of looking for that thing that got them to sleep in the first place. They're like, oh, I'm in a place where I need help again. Where is is that person (laughs) or that thing or that feeling that I need to get back to sleep? You mentioned about um, the white noise. Um, And I've heard lots of people and myself included wonder, like, I don't sleep with white noise, but I wake up now at every, like if my kid's in the other room, uh, if their bed creaks, I hear that. That's like, <laughs> that's the mom brain always yeah. on. Like, what was that? Um, but, um, but I've never been one to sleep with white noise. I've never really needed that to fall asleep, but I guess I'm just wondering, like, do people who, who start with white noise, need white noise the rest of their life or is that just something that you recommend like that we should have white noise it's something I recommend I actually grew up in the country in complete silence and every time a car would drive down the road you know if I was in that light stage of sleep I would wake up sometimes I remember it sometimes I wouldn't um but living in urban um cities I do find that there is a lot more just little things that going on that aren't a concern, but our brains kind of switch there right away. Kind of like, Oh, what was that? Where am I? You know? Mm-hmm. And I do find that the white noise does help. It just helps your brain switch off from being um, almost activated or, or, you know, responding to that and waking you up or random noises at night. Um, mm-hmm. And that would be the same for baby as well. Now there is, there is, it is important to mention that there's research that constant white noise at a certain levels can actually affect baby's brain. Um, so what we recommend for the newborn stage is you do have it a little bit louder. So about 60 decibels, you can download an app on your phone and you would place it where you would have baby's head and you can check the volume. And 60 decibels is actually conversation um, volume. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, I recommend just turning it down to about 50 and placing it near where you think that noise is going to come from. So if it's going to be the window, if it's going to be the door, you know, something like that, um, just to keep it away from the child and kind of keep it near where that noise source is coming from. The sleep sack, when to introduce the sleep sack would be after the swaddle. So okay. that's another really good tool to have, especially when they're older. Mm-hmm. We talked Don't about weighted blankets in one episode that was a whole episode on weighted blankets but yeah sleep sacks are are a good transition right 
yeah they're, they're fantastic because you don't you know that mom brain it's like oh it's got cold i wonder if the blanket's still on baby do i have to worry about that and the blanket is a, a suffocation hazard mm-hmm. up until one years of age you actually shouldn't have anything in the crib at all except a fitted sheet with your child um, so sleep sack is such a great um, tool and also when they're toddlers it, it <laughs> it stops them from getting their leg that extra little bit over to get over the railing. It's, it's really handy with that. And to stop them having their legs fall between the slats of the crib, Mm -hmm. that can be an issue too. Um, They get it stuck or just looks uncomfortable and somebody has to go in and, and, and pop it out, kind of avoid all those things. So you've talked about um, sleep signs and I know that, you know, sometimes it's hard to get your kids onto a routine or, or to fit their routine into your life. If you're out and about doing something, there's that stage where your kid is beyond tired, right? Let's talk a bit about those sleep signs and how we can recognize those signs of when they're tired and act on those in the appropriate time so that we're not dealing with these overtired kids. Overtired kids, overtired babies, especially. I think, um, the biggest thing up until about six months of age, I recommend for parents to follow wake windows and not an actual schedule. Now that may seem a little up in the air, but the one thing I recommend is starting their day at a certain time every day. So even if they tend to sleep past, let's say, I like to say seven o'clock is the wake up time to wake them up by seven o'clock if they aren't already awake. And then from there, you start your day with your wake window that suits that's appropriate to your child's age Um, for newborns you know they do a blank stare or they turn away from um, almost an overstimulating environment so they'll turn their face away they'll try and avoid it Um, and then as they get progressively tired you'll start seeing red eyebrows and then the overtired you know it's a classic hysterically crying just inconsolable Anytime, you know, you have a child that gets to the hysterical level, I don't recommend just leaving them figure it out and fall asleep themselves. They can't. They've Mm -hmm. already got the release of cortisol in their system, which happens to children when they're overtired, they get that stress hormone. And they're running on a completely different system, they need assistance getting to sleep at that point. Mm -hmm. So that's why when I teach um, new parents about newborn, it's really keeping close to that wake time figuring out what suits their child. Let's say for my, for my daughter, um, she could go 60 minutes as a newborn. That was an issue for my son. He was 40 minutes. You know, he was actually much shorter than what most newborns are. So it's figuring out that time that suits their child and to get them in their crib before the end of that wake window. So that child has five or 10 minutes to settle themselves down and go into sleep. So they know what's happening next rather than rushing into the bedroom and dropping them down at 40 minutes and expecting them just to switch it off and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. There has to be a routine in the system that helps them recognize and helps their body recognize that it's now sleep time and and we need to shut down and and settle. Mm -hmm. That's really important. You know, I talk a lot about regulation, sensory regulation and, and newborns, and a lot of kids like up to, I don't, I don't even know what age it depends on the kids, but they need parents to regulate them. They need an adult to regulate them. You know, this cry it out thing we, that just causes in my life. It just caused it every caused everyone more stress. It was like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes. We did the cry it out and then that was mm-hmm. it, but like it, 
it increases their stress, which increases the mom's stress. And I like what you said, like that you get them in there before their, their sleep window is up so that they are regulated. They're not trying to fall asleep when they're dysregulated, right? Mm-hmm. That's when yeah, they it's, need. It's, it's like you or me, you know, when you have that important meeting in the morning, it's like, I got to be in bed by 10 o'clock. Like I just, I got it. I need a good night's sleep tonight. I got to get in there. And the minute you get in there, it's like, I can't shut down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know I've got all these things. And what if I sleep in? And <laughs> yeah. so these little guys, like a lot of the time, they don't know what's going on. They, they have to get used to that routine. So it really does help, it helps everyone. And now I know that adults have lives and well, not right now, cause we aren't allowed to do anything, but, but like <laughs> normally we're allowed, like we have things that we do and how strict are you telling parents to be on this schedule? Okay. With newborns, maybe more strict, but like as a child gets older, do you have recommendations for, you know, how to kind of keep structure when you want to be a bit more flexible. I do. Actually, for newborns, I think you have the most flexibility, to be honest. I think a newborn, they, as I said, they just have those two sleep cycles. Um, They have very brief, uh, light sleep cycles. So you can get away with so much more. It's when they hit about three or four months of age, like things change. and, Mm -hmm. And a lot of what they need changes. I recommend trying not to book an appointment or leaving the house for the first nap. The first nap of the day is, I have found to be the most important. It's usually the longest nap of the day, the easiest one to get them down for. If you mess around with that, you tend to have a very hard time with the naps for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So that's my advice on, you know, life does happen. Um, I recommend keeping 80% of the naps in the crib in their sleep environment to keep that routine and, and, and to keep them used to that. Otherwise, if you have a little bit more than that, you find that it becomes a habit they get used to again. Let's say they, have, they start to have their naps in the car. You're going to and from places. Now they start to get used to that sleep in motion, which actually isn't uh, very restorative sleep. So they need the, the static lying down on a flat surface sleep to really restore their, their systems. I'm learning so much. I should go have more kids. <laughs> <Just kidding. Yeah. laughs> like I said, I um, did a lunch and learn all about sleep. And so this is all really interesting and, and it ties really well in, into this um, sleep lunch and learn where Kim Barthel talked all about like, the importance of sleep and how it's just our, you know, it's, it's for our mental health, for the baby's mental health, for the mom's mental health. Um, it's the foundation of all arousal. It's the function of all behavior. So we're talking a lot about newborns, but, um, she talked in this, um, lunch and learn about how that newborn sleep, um, kind of lays the foundation for, like our sleep patterns as we get older. And I found that so interesting and I'm trying to kind of find it here in my notes, but I think we're just going to have to keep talking about sleep because there's so much um, that we could talk about at different, different ages and different. um, And especially now, since the pandemic has come, I've noticed that the getting a lot more um, calls about older kids. Like uh, I'm actually trained up to nine years of age and I'm finding that there are a lot more children who have issues going to sleep and getting asleep and are stressed and they have anxiety. 
And there's different ways we can improve that with routine, um, exercise during the day, things like that. And it really, it's, it's horrible to hear that kids are so young, like suffering from that. Like that's something that, you know, 20 something year olds should start to think about not nine year olds, right? You know, like seven and nine year olds having anxiety about certain things. They bring it home. They can't get to sleep at night. They start developing fears. Um, and it's just, it all compounds itself really. And of course, mom and dad are home at the time as well. It's stressful. Nobody's getting out. Yeah. Um, I think kids hear parents talking and they hear, they hear what's going on. They hear what's going on in the news and they're thinking about it a lot. And I've had to tell my kids like, that's not something you need to worry about. Cause they're like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if we should play soccer this year because what if we get COVID? And I'm like, oh, like your yeah. job is to be a kid and yeah, to not play. To worry about this. And I can worry about those those pieces. I'm going to yeah. keep you safe. But that's what they're thinking about. And and it really does set off. We've talked about in other episodes like this window of tolerance. And and when they hear all of this stuff, their window of tolerance gets smaller. So all of the things that set them off, those anxiety and they either go into shutdown or fight or flight and um, mm -hmm. it, it, it affects their sleep and then their sleep is affecting their behaviors the next days. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot more that we can kind of dive into what would be, I don't know, it's probably hard to narrow down to like your top three tips for parents um, in regards to sleep, but do you have can you narrow it down to three or five? <laughs> I can. I actually can. And this would go for every age group again. So I think sleep environment is, is really big. Uh, making sure that it is uh, a nice, relaxing place, a place that your child wants to go to. It's never used as a punishment. Going to your room should never be used as a punishment. Um, also routine. doesn't matter what age of kid you have. Um, be there nine months old or nine years old. Routine will really help. Um, it takes the stress out of their day. They know what's happening next. They don't have to worry about it. They can almost go into automatic mode of shutting down and just, they know it's, it's just one step out of the day they don't have to worry about or think about. So I think that's really important. And for older kids, it's screen time. I think we really overestimate what they're watching and how it's affecting them and what time of the day they're watching it. So screens you know, they put off a blue light and more than ever, kids have phones and they have iPads. Um, if it was back in the day of the TVs, at least you have six feet between you and your child. Mm -hmm. How this affects the brain is it actually stops the production of melatonin. And melatonin reaches a peak, depending on your child's schedule, at about nine or 10 in the evening. It really does depend on their schedule. Two hours before that time, your child starts to produce melatonin. So if your child is watching TV for two hours, I definitely recommend absolutely an hour before bedtime, there should be no TV. They are, they're stopping the release of melatonin. They can't physically get to sleep and you have to produce melatonin throughout the night to stay asleep until about three o'clock in the morning. So if they don't have that, they're not going to sleep and you can't expect them or discipline them or, or do anything outside of that. You know, they just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So you, you got to give them all the tools, things that we didn't have growing up, issues like that. You know, I had two challenges on my, my TV growing <laughs> <Me> up. <too. laughs> 
didn't have anything like that to worry about. Um, but they, they're going up in a very different environment. So, mm-hmm. so two hours before. Yeah, that's my, and at the very minimum, an hour before bedtime should yeah. be absolutely no yeah. screens. Yes. <laughs> and most parents cringe when I tell them that, but you know, you can fill it with other things that yeah. um, just switch up routines, put different things in place. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I agree. And on the weekends, my kids want to watch a movie. And so it's like Saturday night movie, but then how does that impact their sleep? Mm-hmm. They're and usually it- ending it late and then they're probably not producing melatonin. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. And you know what? One day a week isn't going to kill anything, but it, it is good to have it in the back of your mind. I always yeah. recommend, you know, if they're used to going to bed at eight o'clock, not going past nine o'clock anyway, because it can really throw off the schedule and you're trying to get them back into the schedule for Monday. Yeah. Let's so, go Sunday night. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Get into bed now. It's like, yeah. no, I've been up since 10 o'clock Friday and Saturday. Um, so trying not to go over that hour can really help as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a challenge. Parenting is a challenge. You just got to balance it. And it's hard to like, to have that routine and stick with that routine and be consistent and, and not, you know, you want to be like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a flexible parent. And actually it's, it's better not to be, it's better to just be on that routine and a little bit type A. Hey. Yeah. You know, I have a three-year-old now and I think like, I'll just, you know, she'll appreciate it. I let her go this once. And then it's like, next time you're trying to like enforce the rules, you're like, why did I do it that once? Yeah. Yeah. But that's a part of life too. And it's a part of them understanding that boundaries can be pushed a little bit. So that's right. Well, let's, um, let's leave a little question here for the listeners to see what they want to know more about in, in terms of sleep and um, sleep and high environment, sleep routine, sleep signs, other questions that you have about sleep, Um, either drop them in the comments or, um, send myself or Liz a DM and we'll, we'll cook up something else for you guys in the future to keep this sleep talk going. Cause I think it is so important and there's so much science behind it. And, you know, we didn't, we, we talked about melatonin, but we didn't talk about like melatonin supplements. I'd love to talk about that in another episode. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thanks for sharing all your wisdom with us. This is a question that, that comes up all the time. Parents that I work with who have children with autism or children with sensory issues, I'm often getting asked about sleep and, um, yeah, I just wanted to get some more professional insights. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. There's definitely some great things that we can, we can chat about and definitely help some parents out there with. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, here's three easy ways to support the podcast and stay connected. Head over to sensationalpath.com to find out more about any of the resources we discussed on the show 
and ways to connect with us. Share the podcast with a friend, colleague, or a mom that you think would benefit from hearing this and subscribe to the show on your favorite player. Being sure to leave a review saying how much you liked the show. Oh, one more thing. If you're on social media, tag Sensational Path so that we can stay connected and keep these conversations going. I hope this helps you discover your sensational path.